Coming up on the Shelley Irwin Show podcast today, Muskegon Public Schools launch a community perception survey. Ford Field is going to be busy this Saturday raising funds and awareness for Crohn's and colitis. Author Dr. Sandra Upton pays tribute to Black History Month discussing her book on DEI called Make It Last. Guests from the USDA talk about food safety during the Super Bowl. And Blandford Nature Center offers free admission for the entire month of February. We get the details on that. Here's a cool headline, Muskegon Public Schools launching a community perception survey. It's an online questionnaire serving as an initial tactic and a larger strategy to shape the future of the district. No time to, to stop uh, and smell the roses. Let's move forward. I only get the best superintendent of Muskegon Public Schools, Matthew Cortez, on the line. Superintendent Cortez, good morning. Good morning. How are you? And fine. Good day to you and uh, good uh, work that you do, as you are quoted as saying that the Muskegon Public Schools is committed to providing the best possible education for its students. So gaining input and valuable in shaping the district's future. So Superintendent Cortez, before we get into the, um, <clears throat> the skinny, tell us a little bit about you and your district. Well, uh, this is the beginning of my fifth year as superintendent with Muskegon Schools. And um we uh, passed a 2020 bond that is causing a complete physical restructuring of our school from a facility standpoint. Um, we're going to be debuting a brand new middle school in April, and uh, the first classes will start there in the fall. So um, what we're trying to do is we want to find out what is the next evolution that our community would like to see with us. Now that we have the facilities, we are working on a complete um, redesign of our secondary education pathways and then tying students all the way from uh, preschool all the way up through graduation at 12th grade. So we've partnered with Ford Next Generation Learning to create a secondary academy model, which um, is obviously career-based, future-based for our students, but what it is putting into place is the guarantee that the Monday after graduation, every single one of our students will know what they're doing. Wow. A lot of little lives touched and our future touched as well. This is an anonymous 24-question study. Uh, I see it's offered in English and Spanish. Correct. Yes. We have a, a emerging bilingual program. Um, we also have a uh, two-way uh, uh, two immersion program that we run as an elementary school. So um, we do have a lot of uh, native Spanish-speaking uh, citizens. And it looks like you have a, a next week deadline here. Yes, February 14th is when uh, Revel is going to close it down. So we did partner with uh, Revel. Um, they are in downtown Muskegon here. People might know them because they were responsible for... Um, Watch Us Grow, the Muskegon logo for the for the city. And um, in partnering with them, uh, you can get such better responses from people if they are replying to a third party. And then all of the data and everything that we're going to report back is going to be reported back from Revel, not actually from the district. So there's not going to be any quote-unquote juking of the stats kind of deal. Good to partner uh, with good people. The uh, survey itself, this, uh, tell me who, who your target audience is and how to best uh, find out to get started. 
Actually, our target audience is everybody in our community, and that even includes people outside of our public school system. So some of the questions that we would like to answer is everybody knows about schools of choice. I have 500 students every year that choose to go to a different district than the one that they live in. They live in my district, but they choose to go to a neighboring district. And that is the ones that I know about that choose another public school. If they choose a charter school or a private school, I don't necessarily have those statistics. Well, people are choosing another school for a reason, which means that somehow we're not meeting their needs, and we want to meet the needs of our community. Um, Five years ago when I interviewed for this position, one of the things that I said was our district um, was failing and being a cornerstone of our community, and we need to return our district to being that that cornerstone that helps support our community and slowly we have begun to do that and uh, our community is behind that vision it was obvious on a 66 percent approval vote on both bond issues we put out um, that they want to see us develop into that community pillar that we're capable of being again uh, an opportunity to uh uh, get involved in a tactic, a larger strategy to strategy to shape the future of the district. Muskegon Public Schools Superintendent Matthew Cortez talking about the the latest online questionnaire. Again, your deadline next Wednesday. This um will this also uh, uh, allow some suggestions for improvement? Yes, some of the questions are open ended. So um, it's not just about, like, how do you feel about the district and what do you see? It's, you know, some of the questions aimed toward where would you like us to go? What's the next evolution of Muskegon schools? Next year, our uh, class of 2025 is our 150th graduating class. Wow. So we have 150 years of history, but we, and, and we celebrate our traditions very strong, and people know about different traditions that we have. We have to be embracing the future to give our children in our district the the opportunity in their life that not only do they deserve, but they long for. Yes, very cool. And uh, like anything in life, often uh, an incentive help uh, helps. It looks like anyone completing the survey can provide an email to enter, oh, a raffle. Oh, definitely. That <laughs> is, um, that's all run through, that is Rebel. And that's one of the things that they do because, you know, they want to get as many people involved. We actually um, have asked all of our staff to take it. And we actually, from sixth grade through 12th grade, we have asked all of our students to take this as well. Because we they can wind up breaking out all those demographics so that we can actually look at what group of people are saying what and how do we address it. Well, let's add, uh, you know, our listeners uh, to take it as well. And you mentioned uh, one does not have to uh, reside in uh, Muskegon County to do just that. No, it would be great because we want to know. Um, it's not just about our, a lot of it's about our internal community to our district, but also outside of our district, you know, perception outside can drive the truth of people, even if it's um, not an accurate perception. And how else can the community help in general making Muskegon Public Schools strong under your leadership? We want our community to come back into our schools. Um, 
We have uh, various reading programs where we have adults that volunteer maybe once a week, once a month to come in and, and have students read to them to encourage our students to do better reading. Um, as we go through our phased process with uh, Ford Next Generation Learning, we've partnered with 70 different businesses mm. to create internships and externships for our students and for our teachers and to get students the experience inside of the career that they're looking at in order to understand if that's what they want to do. And um, we want to partner with those businesses uh, across our community. Um, we are going to visit up in Whitehall with a business up in Whitehall because our students need to see the exposure of what they are interested in and how does it apply to them. Very cool. All right, details on how to find this online survey and get her accomplished by next week, please. Um, if you go on to uh, Muskegon Public Schools' Facebook site, there'll be a link in there. And um, we also have a link on our main page. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Revel put a link up on their, uh, their site as well. So those are three different ways that you can uh, enter online in order to um, access that survey. And is there a way to find out more about Muskegon Public Schools in general? Um, definitely. I am launching a new, um, a, a new concept in um, what I'm calling uh, Scoop with Soup. Nice. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be coming out this month. And my target is to um, try and get on the local radio about month and do a question and answer series live on local radio with citizens or uh, be present in a local business or a local location throughout each of the different neighborhoods at least once a month to sit down and just allow people to come in, sit down and, and talk with me, Great. ask me questions, clarifications, things of that nature. All about communication and transparency. Superintendent Matthew Cortez, thank you on behalf of Muskegon Public Schools, launching a community perception survey. It's important. Thank you for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. This is kind of cool. Ford employees are digging into their own pockets to help find a cure for Crohn's and colitis. This Saturday is a big deal. There's a flag football match. There are breaks, kids running, field goal kicking, and more. Let's talk about what's happening with you, Theron McGee, North American Ford Production System Manager. Good morning to you, Theron. Good morning. Appreciate you and, uh, of course, uh, anything we can uh, do to talk all things football, especially flag football in this in this case at Ford Field, is cool. But what's even cooler there on, and you can talk on a personal manner, this is an awareness uh, and fundraiser for Crohn's and colitis. Tell us more. Well, this awareness is really picking up, over the, especially over the years with Ford leading the charge. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation does so many things to help people with the condition. Having a flag football event associated with this is just wonderful. It's just a fun way to raise money, and not only a fun way to raise money, but bring awareness to a condition that affects so many people, including myself. Can you talk to us about your, uh, your journey with Crohn's? I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 31 years of age. I didn't realize I had it because I was diagnosed with another underlying condition called ankylosing spondylitis. 
as a result of that, I had seen 30 doctors and they couldn't get to the root cause mm. of the problem. And then I saw one doctor that I heard about in Bingham's Farm, Michigan, and he spent the entire day with me, and he committed to me that he would find out the underlying cause of my condition. 48 hours later, that's when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. What is Crohn's disease? It's a disease that affects your intestines, your your, uh, colon, and it can cause scarring, blisters, you name it, but it affects your autoimmune health. there is uh, tendencies, the, the restroom breaks, it's just so many things associated with it. You can get tired, you can get weak, and then it causes other conditions as well. How important is it to raise funds and awareness for this? It is so important because there's so many people with this condition and they need help. And this foundation is one avenue that helps the research, the planning, the the family understanding. There's so many helpful things that come from uh, not only the foundation, but also just helping people to understand how to be around people with Crohn's disease. Hence, there is an opportunity come Saturday, February 10th, to uh, do a little flag football. Tell me how Ford employees are helping. Ford employees are helping by coming out of their pockets and donating funds, providing support. And not only are they providing support, they're participating in a flag football event. You're going to have everyone from their, the four children from the ages of very young to some in the 60s. So it'll be interesting to see the event uh, take place. But it's so nice to see how Ford and the families associated with Ford come together to sponsor such a great affair. Yes, looks like it's, uh, again, uh, will it actually be uh, on the grounds of Ford Field? Yes, it will be on the ground at wow. Ford Field. And what's exciting about that is the, the season the Lions had. So there's a lot of electricity mm-hmm. around, you know, the Detroit Lions and then being on Ford Field the day before the Super Bowl just a wonderful privilege. It's almost like a holiday weekend. Yeah, I'll treat it as such for sure with the championship game starting 415 on uh, on your Saturday. How do we find out more information about either this event or obviously uh, Crohn's and Colitis and Ford? Yeah, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is links to their website. Ford continues, they will continue to sponsor throughout the year, will be heavily connected uh, with them. Our journey is really just starting from an awareness standpoint. And even this year, we have more participants, more teams, and more players than last year. So you can see us growing over the years. And I expect next year to even be bigger than this year, than this year because of all the things that we're doing to bring awareness to yes. it. Theron, what do you tell uh, the next person that is diagnosed with Crohn's and or colitis? Is there hope? I will let them know that there's hope and there's a wonderful support mechanism. Ford is leading the charge. There were so many members at Ford that told this story that inspired me and allowed me to share my story with others. Not only is there support out there, there's a fantastic group of people that really care about people with this condition. They know how to be around people. They know the support to provide. So it does provide hope. 
They're on McGee, North American Ford Production System Manager. Keep up your good work uh, with your day job and obviously uh, with your uh, journey with Crohn's and colitis. Ford employees are digging into their own pockets with this opportunity this Saturday at Ford Field. Thank you. Thank you very much. Big conversation to have a DEI thought leader and strategist in the house. Let's add author to her hat. Dr. Sandra Upton here to talk about your latest work. I hold in my hand. Thank you for that. Hot off the press. Make it last. A roadmap and practical strategies for how to do DEI work. Certainly a, a must read for all. Sandra Upton in the house. Dr. Upton, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, I appreciate you and uh, in the Friday an extra hop and kick in your step today do you like the sun i love the sun it is uh, uh, good to see but we're still in the thick of winter tell me about dr upton you've got uh, degrees behind your name you've got the things you do of course now you're consulting ad author uh, did you know uh, what you knew what you wanted to be i guess uh, when you grew up when we were the tender age of 12 um, you know, I think there were little signs here and there. I've been doing consulting work for many, many years. I um, relaunched my own consulting firm just a little over two years ago. But prior to that, I was uh, the vice president of global diversity practice with a company called the Cultural Intelligence Center, which is also a boutique consulting firm. Was there for over seven years. Um, and prior to that, had my own consulting firm. So I've been doing consulting work for many years across a wide range of sectors across the country and across the globe. Um, and I think one of the things that that's behind that is my desire to teach, to educate. And I will say I did feel like I, I, had, I got inklings of that gift when I was younger. I can remember lining my dolls up and teaching them uh, different topics uh, as even as a little girl. So I think that teaching theme has always been there. You, of course, uh, uh, involved in, in, in consulting. Do you have the name for your business? Yes, Upton Consulting Group. Makes sense. Makes a lot it? of yes, sense. Yes. Very creative. Who <laughs> needs your services? Oh, many organizations that are uh, doing the diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Uh, I like to describe my company as a management consulting firm that works with organizations that are uh, at various stages of the journey around DEI because it is a journey. Uh, the, the destination is the journey. Um, and so they can be at various stages in that process. And I, I will come in and help them with strategy. I help them with learning and development and just basic coaching and consulting work. And you are based here in West Michigan. I am. Right here yes. in Habits. Very nice. When did you know it was time to write a book? Oh, my goodness. It's been in me for many years. I've been doing the DEI work for over 25 years in various capacities. And um, so always had it as a core passion. I worked in academia for many years as a faculty member and as a dean. And even then, I taught courses around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's always been something that I felt was obviously very important for organizations, um, uh, but I think it's important for our society and uh, to help organizations get better at really celebrating the, the rich diversity that our communities offer um, and to, to leverage that in a way where everybody is thriving inside the organization and ultimately the organization benefits from a bottom line perspective. That's always been a passion of mine. And I've, again, I've helped organizations in different ways over many years. Make it last, a roadmap and practical strategies for how to do DEI work. You dedicate this to your sweet grandmother. Yes, I do. Tell us about her. Yeah, Maud Moss. Uh, she passed away at the age of 98, so lived a very long 
wonderful life, but I always say she was an angel on earth. She was just a very kind and loving person. I, I often talk about this idea of cultural intelligence, which is the capability to, to function and work effectively across cultures. And she was one of the most, most culturally intelligent people I knew. Um, she loved everybody she encountered and treated people fairly, regardless of their background, their socioeconomic status. And so she was a great role model for me. Uh, and has guided a lot of my thinking around how I do the work that I do and, and certainly uh, a guiding force behind me writing the book. Thank you for that acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Make it last. What's it mean? What it means is that uh, DEI is a hot topic, as we all know. Um, it is uh, something that is experiencing backlash uh, today as well. Um, and so the, the, the purpose of the book and the, the reason that I gave it that title is because in my many years of working with organizations, I see a couple of things that I think we need to, to work on. I see a lot of organizations still lack a solid strategy around the work. Even if they have good intentions around doing the work, they don't often have a strategy that is data-driven and that is outcome-driven. And because of that, um, the work doesn't last Right, we, we do things that are what I call activity driven. So, and those are not bad things, but they're not necessarily substantive and sustainable. And so really the goal behind the book is to say, let me help you, let me come alongside you and help you design a roadmap that is data driven, that is outcome driven, that is also filled with practical strategies, mm -hmm. that is also evidence-based, that whole combination, I think, has been missing uh, in the space and in the conversation. And so it's designed to really, if they do these things that, that I highlight in the book, the work will last. And you also do include uh, a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I do. Which is important as well. We'll tease our listener with that uh, so they buy the book to, to learn the quote. Let's start with your first phase of unfreezing the current state, obviously our conversation in cliff note form. Yes. So, you know, I want to give you a foundational understanding of the book. Uh, basically, what I've done is when we think about diversity, equity and inclusion, at the end of the day, it's all about change. We're trying to change behaviors and we're trying to change systems. Mm -hmm. And so the book has as its foundation uh, the research around change management and what I've done is I've married that research with DEI and said, here are eight key steps that you need to take in order to move the work forward and make it last. The first four steps, that idea of unfreezing the state, that requires four important steps. The first is we've got to make sure we have adequate buy-in. And I go into great detail around what does that mean? Uh, how do we get buy-in? I give, again, very practical strategies for how to do that. Once you get buy-in, then you need to build your tribe. Right. So you need to have a team of what I call DEI superheroes uh, to help do, get the work done. A lot of times people are passionate about DEI, but they don't necessarily have the competence. And that's that's common. And so let's make sure as we're building a team of people to lead this work, uh, create this tribe that we we celebrate the passion, but we also upskill them to make sure that everybody has the level of competence necessary to move the work forward. And then that third step is actually developing the strategy. So before you get to the strategy, a lot of people, part of why the work doesn't last is they jump to the strategy before they've gotten buy-in and built their team. Map the route. I map the route. And then the fourth step is where I see organizations falling short often is communication. So we can have a wonderful plan and no one knows about it. 
And so those are the first key four steps that are critical to unfreezing the current state of the organization. It's all in the book, Make It Last, a roadmap and practical strategies for how to do DEI work. Dr. Sander Upton with the, the notes. Introducing new DEI practices. Yes. Superheroes are involved here. Superheroes are involved, right? DEI, the first thing that people need to understand because the work is massive um, and it is quite involved, uh, it has to be a shared responsibility, right? And so that goes back to this idea of as you built that tribe, when you get to what I call that step five in, in developing superheroes, that is to equip people across the organization. So not just those who have been hired to lead the DEI work, but that's everybody from department heads to HR to IT to marketing, uh, but to get all of those people on board, give them the skills so that they can, so that DEI can infiltrate the entire organization. And everybody is, again, they have the kryptonite that they need uh, in order to be able to, to get the work done. You talk about planning DEI victories. What's the snowball effect here? Yeah, it's this idea that um, when we talk about planning victories, uh, Everybody, when people are involved in such a massive effort that is really endless, people need to see that it's working. People need to see success. And so as you're doing the work, because it is really hard, it's very important to be proactive in planning wins, small and big. Um, so you may have a massive goal in two years to increase the diversity of you know, your leadership team. Uh, but in that first year, maybe you've added one person of color, or maybe you've looked at your policies and practices, celebrate the progress, celebrate the wins. People need to know that it's working, that the plan is working. Um, and then once you get some progress, then you snowball that, right? So you, you if, if IT is making good progress in terms of how they're integrating DEI, then snowball that and help other departments understand what they're doing and learn from that and, and, and again, have it expand across the organization. And then, of course, your whole phase is, is dedicated to making it last. Yes. Yeah. So that idea is, is it's all about at the end of the day, we want DEI to be in the DNA of the organization. It is who we are. It's just what we breathe. Um, and so at that stage, it's really important for top leadership to understand that their work is not done, uh, that they don't just their role is not to just say, I think this is great. Here's the money to get the work done. Go forward. But they have to play an active role uh, from start to finish. Um, and they have to really play a critical role in making uh, DEI part of the culture. So that's where that culture change is really important. And that's not something that happens overnight. Um, but that is when we know that the work is sticking or lasting when it is it is deep into the culture. It's just how we do things. It's who we are. And that's what those final steps take us to. Senator, I, I like uh, you include a glossary, you include uh, common DEI roles. Uh, sometimes we need the basics. We do. Yeah, we absolutely do. I, again, I think so many organizations, uh, you know, people talk about DEI being dead. I don't agree with that. I, I think that there are lots of organizations. I work with them every day all over the country, all over the globe. Lots of organizations that want to do the work. Um, but they are, they're stuck. They don't know where to start and they don't know. We, I think we've been really good when I say we, I'm talking about DEI practitioners and experts. We've been good at telling people what to do, but not how to do it. And so I think organizations are hungry for the how, and that's what this book focuses on. Answering the question, how do we turn our good intentions and high hopes toward DEI into real and lasting change? Your labor of love. What do you do for fun? 
Oh man, family, 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 family. Uh, that is that is my top priority. And so my husband and I do lots of fun things. We love to travel. Uh, we love to go and visit our, our, we have an adult daughter who lives in Washington, D.C. I was just with her last weekend. She and her, uh, my new son in love. Oh. And then our, we have another son that lives here. So anytime I can uh, spend with my family, my mom is here in town. So that is top priority. But we, we love to travel. We love to go out to eat. We love movies. Uh, so a lot of fun things. There's a normal, normal bone there. Yeah, very normal. <laughs> Make it last, Dr. Sander Upton. Now, this comes out next week? It does. The book releases on Tuesday, next week, Tuesday, February the 13th. So it will be available uh, on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. But people can purchase the book as a pre-order today if they'd like. And, uh, of course, uh, this is out and about. It will be out and about where all fine books are sold as well. Yes. Absolutely. And then you go on your book signing tour, I bet. I do. Or you should. All right. Make it last. Dr. Sandra Upton, thank you. Archie Magoulis with us, food safety specialist, of course, with the USDA. Here to offer a food safety game plan for, yes, a Super Bowl Sunday. Archie, good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Yeah, you're welcome. We were joking before we went on air. Uh, the only silver lining uh, we could uh, offer is, darn, we wish the Lions were involved. But they have had a good season, and yes. uh, uh, maybe next year. I digress. Archie, tell us about uh, why the USDA uh, cares about the Super Bowl. Well, uh, the, big, the, the short version is we prevent foodborne illness, or that's part of our goal, preventing foodborne illness by educating the public on what is foodborne illness, also known as food poisoning, and by knowing about it, how to prevent it, especially on big gatherings, but also every day throughout the year. There's a lot of foodborne, foodborne illness. Uh, one in six Americans, that's a, long, that's a big number of 48 million mm. people get sick per year, according to the Centers for Disease Control. 128,000 are hospitalized, and unfortunately, 3,000 die from foodborne illness. Hence, there is a preventative strategy which we can discuss. First of all, uh, in general, what uh, what kind of snacks are we uh, are we eating during the Super Bowl, and uh, how do we stay safe? Okay, no, remember the two words: uh, perishable, you know, things that spoil easy, and non-perishable. So let's cover the non-perishable, the the, the stuff that everybody, of course, does like: uh, chips, you know, pretzels, crackers, regular rolls, bread rolls. Doesn't matter their wheat or wheat or rye or white uh, these are you know they can stay out these are you don't have to worry so much about um uh even even vegetables that you slice up to eat later like if you're going to use them in a dip of course do refrigerate them later but those are hard cheeses that's another category as opposed to soft cheeses you know soft would be perishable hard would be not so perishable less perishable but eventually you want to refrigerate that too so let's go to the second category that's the one you want to make sure you don't fumble and the football language, and those are things like chicken wings, very popular, meatball appetizers, pizza, anything that you're going to be serving hot like that. It doesn't matter that it's chicken or beef, uh, pork, etc. cetera. Uh, those you want to leave out no more than a couple of hours in what we call, what's called the danger zone. That's when the activities happens with, uh, with bacteria. You don't want the, the food to spoil when it's left out too long. Now, uh, there's a way around that. Uh, as long as you keep hot foods hot, that's what we call it, hot, hot holding, uh, that's 140, 140, with a, the, uh, I mean 140 Fahrenheit, 
with a food thermometer. You can use chafing dishes, sternos, even slow cookers, or a low-set oven. If you keep them hot like that, then, then really, <clears throat> excuse me, you're keeping them safe. They may dry up a little bit over time. Some things you can keep moist, keep them covered. and everything. Mm-hmm. Just like a buffet table, you want to simulate the situation of a, like the professional sure. buffet. Or some people do their own buffets, like caterers do, which is, would be a professional setting. So that's the idea, not leaving food out. And when you're all done, you want to make sure you put, again, everything away, put in the refrigerator, that is, within two hours. Don't leave them out too long. So those are the basics. And then we have something called the two-hour rule. And that's, that pertains year-round, not just for Super Bowl. Uh, don't leave foods out two hours if it's a room temperature environment, say 60s or 70 or so. Uh, and there's the other one called the one-hour, and that's when if, if by chance you're in a very warm area, maybe not this time of the year, depending, of course, what state, some warm areas, like 90-degree weather, well, that's one hour. You don't want to leave it out uh, right. too long. So if you leave... What about... Um... Well, I don't have to. You think we wouldn't have to be reminded to wash our hands, but do this effectively? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Those are that's one of the. Uh, oh, that's the uh, the step one. Step one is washing your hands twenty seconds, and uh, with soap and water. If by chance you don't have uh, around any, and you well at home you're gonna have uh, you don't need sanitizer if you're home with warm water and soap. If you want to sanitize, you can do the same thing with the surfaces. Wash and then sanitize. You can make your own. Uh, homemade sanitizer that's just taking a tablespoon of liquid chlorine bleach and mix it with a gallon of water. That's a homemade sanitizer. Then the second step after clean, that's after you got everything clean, your hands included, you se- if you, you're going to separate. If you're going to be cooking, for example, something like raw chicken and, and, and you're going to have some other things that are not going to be cooked like salad greens or some of the appetizers, make sure you keep them separate. You don't want any cross-contamination. Use uh, separate cutting boards if you have to. So you don't want raw and and, uh, ready-to-eat foods to be uh, uh, crossing like that. You don't want raw juices. They could contain bacteria. The third step is the cook step. Use a food thermometer. Make sure you reach good internal temperature. For chicken or any poultry, it's 165. Use a food thermometer. That's always recommended. And the last step, chill. That's the one we talked about a lot earlier putting foods away. It's called chill. So it's clean, separate, cook, and chill. Thank you for that. Archie, how do we find out more information? Oh, definitely. You can call, the, call us the hotline here. It's called the USDA Meat and Poultry Hotline. It's been around a few decades now. Uh, it's toll-free 1-888-674-6854. Or visit an easy website to remember. It's called Food Safety Altogether foodsafety.gov. Who's going to win the game? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll get back to you on that. Always a pleasure to speak with those on behalf of the USDA. Archie Magoulis, thank you very much. Thank you. Social media and communication spe- specialist for Blandford Nature Center, Sydney Quillen on the line. Yep, good news from Blandford. First of all, uh, visit the Nature Center all year round, but specifically... In February, because it's free. They say nothing's free, but I'm going to turn to you, Sydney Quillen, and talk to you about that. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You don't have a a bad job there with all of the critters in your backyard and and certainly the nature and more. Remind us of the good work of the center, Sydney. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Blanford Nature Center is located in Grand Rapids, and it's a really awesome place to come on out. We have lots of cool different opportunities. We have over 264 acres of forests, meadows, and wetlands, so we have lots to explore there. Um, we've got eight miles of trails, including one mile of ADA accessible trails. Um, we have a bunch of different rehabilitated wildlife ambassadors. We have a farm and farm animals. So it's a really awesome place to come on out any time of the year and enjoy all that we have to offer. Thanks for that. And normally I trust there's a, a nominal fee, yes? Yes, typically we do charge a general admission fee of $3, but if you have a membership, that is free. Is there a free opportunity this month? Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited to announce that we're offering free admission February. This was made possible through the generous donations of some of our anonymous sponsors. So it's really exciting because um, we've had admission-free months before. We've had admission-free April and admission-free November, but we're just really excited to be offering it in a new season. There's, you know, different experiences you can have when it's wintertime. And also, it can kind of be hard to get outside and enjoy the outdoors when it's colder out, um, typically colder out in February. Mm -hmm. So it's just really exciting that we're able to offer this to the community in this new season. Super. Well, today wouldn't be a bad day, uh, even though you're right, it's not a, a typical day. Let's uh, talk about what you have to offer inside. Are there animals uh, inside to check out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Inside our visitor center, which is open from 9 to 5, Monday through Saturday, we have over 30 rehabilitated wildlife ambassadors, um, part of our wildlife education center. So it's a really great opportunity to come on out and learn about some of our Michigan native species. It can be really interactive and fun for kids, too. So, yeah, we're excited to be offering that. And I'm on your website. It looks like and we don't need to go through the specifics because we'll refer you to the website, but I mean, you everything from uh, I mean, family activities, yoga, and uh, um, are you also looking for wildlife ambassadors? Yeah, yeah, we do have some free programs coming up with our wildlife ambassadors, actually. So on February seventeenth and February twenty fourth, we have story times with our animals. So it's a really fun time. You can come on out and read a story and learn about our wildlife ambassadors with one of our wildlife education specialists. And then on those days, too, we actually have nature artifacts tables, which are really cool interactive ways for kids to learn about our wildlife, too, because we have different, um, like, nature artifacts, like skulls and pelts that they can interact with. It's just a really cool hands-on learning experience to learn about our ambassadors. And get involved, yes, become a member, volunteer, of course, donate uh, in, is key as well. Sydney Quillen with us, social media and communications coordinator, of course, with Blanford Nature Center. Free admission the entire month of February. Again, thanks to those who, who support. Uh, what else would you like to share? I think that the trails are well marked for me, correct? Yep, yep, we do have trails that are well marked, and you can find a trail map online as well. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, February has 29 days, so uh, each day free for us this month. Yeah, that's right, February 1st through 29th. Great. What else uh, would you like to share with us in closing, Sydney? 
Yeah, well, all of the information that I've talked about can be found on our website at www.blandfordnaturecenter.org. You can check out all of our programs, free and paid programming on there. You can learn about our our wildlife ambassadors. And then another thing that uh, we were hoping to offer, but we're not sure if the weather is going to cooperate, is our free snowshoe Fridays. We were planning to do these on February 2nd and 16th. So fingers crossed that we'll have um, over four inches of fluffy snow by February 16th. If that does happen, people can come on out to our visitor center and borrow a pair of free snowshoes. But we'll just have to see if the weather is going to cooperate for that. That's kind of the conversation at the water cooler these days for sure. But uh, obviously still open for us to wander and get to know your center. Blanford Nature Center, Sydney, Sydney Quillen, thank you very much on behalf of what you do and uh, what the center does for us. You take care. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Your inspiration for the day, it is never too late to be what you might have been, says George Eliot. Okay, let's do some catch-up, although I think we're, we're cruising right there and uh, with that philosophy. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make it a great day. I'm Shelley Irwin.